0: The core feeling that I think we need to counter right now is a feeling of powerlessness. People feel powerless because it's been a while since we've really used our power. But we have a lot of power as people. We have got to show people that we have power again.
1: My name is Gibran Rivera. I'm a facilitator, and this is my podcast. I started this podcast as my way of dealing with the existential question of our time. The fact that the species is at a choice point. Is this going to be our evolutionary crash or our evolutionary leap? This podcast is my way of inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. In this episode, I want to introduce you to my friend, Kea Chatterjee. She's the Executive Director of the Climate Action Network. Kea is a mother, an author, and a passionate climate leader of remarkable integrity. Here, we talk about what it takes to build powerful movements, and the way she's going about doing this work right now. Listen in for clear lessons on equity, inclusion, the possibility of true democracy, and the work that we have to do if we're really going to meet the climate crisis. I can't wait to hear what you think, enjoy. Hi Kea, thank you for agreeing to being on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking to you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Wonderful. And uh, there's all kinds of things that I wanna make sure we get to talk about. But uh, as the Executive Director of the US Climate Action Network, I am wondering what is the project that is capturing your imagination right
0: now? The thing that I'm most excited about that I'm working on right now is something called a front-loading process. Uh, and it comes from uh, this momentum school of, of thinking. They're, they're an organization, they run trainings. Uh, and we are doing a front-loading process, which means that we've gathered 12 USDN members from all over the country, very diverse group of folks to so think about in the next five years. How do we really ramp up our ability to grow and deploy civil disobedience so that we can actually get action at the scale of the crisis and end the crisis part of this? So end the climate crisis and uh, and win a justice-centered green deal. So it's a really process, we're meeting together for uh, two-day sessions, six two-day sessions, uh, it's a great group of people. Um, and it's really, it's really nice to start from that frame of, of what, are, what are we actually gonna do to begin? And do, do we think the things we're coming up with are really at the scale of what's needed, given what we can learn from the history of civil rights movements. Um, and nonviolent movements, um, and given the situation we find ourselves in, U.S. today. And who
1: are the people that are gathering in these sessions to, to prepare for this?
0: It's a it's a great group of people. So they're all members of U.S. Climate Action Network, um, which is our network of of lots of uh, of uh, climate focused groups. Um, so. It's folks ranging from uh, the executive director of Prime Latinos, Mark Mangania, to uh, to faith leaders like Reverend uh, Leo Woodbury in South Carolina, um, moms like Sharice Udell who runs Utah Clean Air Moms, um, who's United Methodist Women. I'm leaving off some people here, Kara who's, you know, uh, she, she's, uh, American Nurses for a Healthy Environment. So lots of different disciplines, lot, lots, of, um, lots of really unique uh, and different lived experiences. Um, so we have people who survived Sandy, like Alison Arne, who's organizing project um, and people who've been really involved in uh, indigenous fights uh, uh, to, to protect sovereign territory, like Jacob Johns, who's, a, who's an indigenous organizer out in Washington, uh, and who's also an artist. Uh so it's really it's a, it's it's a diverse skill set, it's just a diverse group of people, but we all love each other a lot. I feel kind of bad that I just rattled off some, but not all of us. Yes. It's like the yeah, I feel a little bad, but you get the sense of, of who, who the team is.
1: That's that sounds awesome. Maybe you can share a word with our listeners about what is the gathering call of the US Climate Action Network. Like who belongs what were the type of people that belong to that? And I know you said names and I can infer already, but how would you say it in the words of, of the executive director of this network?
0: Yeah, so it's it's our it's the 30th anniversary of US Climate Action Network this year, and that membership has changed a lot in that 30 years. Uh, and so it's now I would say it's 180 groups. Uh, and it's, it's two people up to one or two people from each of those groups. And it, these are individuals within organizations who really value building relationships and building trust. People who are different from them, who have different lived experiences, have different theories of change, different, um, different different lenses through which they come to the climate crisis. Some come to the climate crisis, not because they wanted to, because their communities were being displaced and and attacked. Some come to the climate crisis um, because, uh, they you know they they learned about it in school uh, you know it, it's a it's a really diverse range of, of people, but what they have in common is they they, they want to take the time and effort to build relationships with people who are different from them, but who share this common goal of ending ending the climate crisis.
1: Gotcha. and so when you say different, for example, one thing that comes to mind right away is and I know there's been some beautiful headway on this front, but historically, certainly when we were coming up, up until relatively recently, the climate movement has been kind of, a caricature of it has been as a very white, sometimes uh, privileged, elite uh, movement. Uh, the people that you've mentioned, the groups that you've mentioned, don't sound like they'd be part of that traditional, uh, that, 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 that that at least imagine traditional form uh, when you say different, are, are these folks uh, a part of it? These old school environmentalists, for lack of a better word?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have our membership includes, um, you know, the the big green nonprofits whose membership are largely middle class white environmentalists. So National Wildlife Federation or not NRDC, uh, EF. Uh, All of those Sierra Club, all of those groups are members of USCAN, but they're not leaders of USCAN. And so, what we find over and over again is that what our members value—the value proposition that we bring as a network—is the centering of leaders of color and those who are most affected by the impacts of climate change, the impacts of fossil fuels, and the impacts of the transition we need to make as a society. And so the way we make our decisions are are based in transparency and even radical transparency and democracy. So we use ranked choice voting each year to decide on our work plan for the next 12 months. And we actually just came from our annual meeting uh, where, where members just voted on the work plan for the next 12 months. And we vote in such a way that whether you're, you know, uh, Huda Alkaf, uh, a very active, beloved member of USCAN, who's a volunteer who runs uh, Green Muslims of Wisconsin, or whether you are coming from a massive institution like uh, like the Sierra Club, or um, you know, uh, or Oxfam America, you know, a very big organizations, their members, you get the same vote within the US Climate Action Network. Everyone gets vote um, and we have many more members from the smaller organizations than the bigger organizations so the the result of our votes is reflective. is it doesn't exclude the voices of the bigger organizations but it doesn't um, it doesn't give them any more weight than anyone else's voice um, which we think is the right weighting for now um, definitely periodically get feedback it's funny because when we started this news and this new way of working that really centered justice and equity and diversity and inclusion um got lots of pushback from the big uh, green organizations like is that really fair because we're a huge organization and we you know, we only get to send two people and we only get this one usually vote out of like 180. Does that seem fair? And now we get actually pushed back in the opposite direction. You know, uh, if we're really gonna center leaders of color, then why do those big greens even have a vote? <laughs> um, That's powerful. So, uh, so it's really shifted the way even our membership thinks about um, about who we are. Certainly it's shifted a lot in the last 30 years, but even in the last uh, two or three years, there, there's been a lot of, a lot of shift in uh, in who our membership is, um, and in in how we make sure that we're giving them voice.
1: That is that sounds really powerful, and I have seen that shift. I have seen that growing awareness too. I uh, I remember some years back being uh, being part of the People's Climate March, and I know that in my own imagination and that of many others, that felt like a big moment that centered uh these communities where what was the role of us can in that
0: so uh so we fit on what's called the mobilization support team for the people's climate movement um and so uh i i can speak to like what at, i've been at us can for five years um so uh so i've uh so, so i and another uh staff member sit on that table sit at a lot of tables you know and and it's for for it's it's tables where our members want us to sit and our reason for sitting at them is because our members want us to and to bring transparency to our membership about what's going on um and so we sit at ones that are centering um leaders of color, the way that PCM does. We also sit at ones that don't center leaders of color as much like the green group. Um, But we, uh, I I think at any given moment, we usually sit at five or six tables where we're at some kind of like leadership table and we're trying to make sure that all of our members can be plugged in and have transparency and can see what's happening. Um, uh, You know, for, for us, it's, it's really mainly about
1: being there for our membership. Got you. Got you. I understand. And I, I remember, you know, Kea, you and I met uh, through your participation in, in the Young Climate Leaders Network, which I had the privilege to facilitate. And I believe you came into your role while we were in that fellowship.
0: Yeah. So I came into this role because I uh, I was feeling a little bit of dissonance in the uh, way between my own values and where I was at the time. And uh, Colette Pichon-Battle, who I believe you have had on this podcast, and we were in the same program together. Uh, and she was on the board of U.S. Climate Action Network, and she convinced me to apply for this position. She's still on the board. So, uh, so yeah, that's that it is it is absolutely through through our connection that that I came I came to be in this position.
1: I love it cuz that speaks to something that is closest to my heart which is the the power of relationships and of networks of bringing the right people together which you've alluded to multiple times in this brief part of the conversation you've said you love each other you care about building relationships can you tell me how you all do that like what how do you make sure that there's time and care given to that people don't just fall into relationship. Uh, It has to be nurtured somehow.
0: Yeah. I mean, a big part of it is that we create a container where people can speak their minds and have honest conversations um, where we can assume best intentions, but also own the impact of what we're saying and doing and that, that it's okay to do that. And it's okay to have hard conversations. Um, So we don't avoid those hard conversations because it's the vulnerability in those conversations, you know, that that brings about the relationship and the trust. Uh, And so 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 we we physically get together once a year, um, which really helps because, you know, that's where you have the, you know, prince themed karaoke that everyone laughs about for years and that, you know, that, you know, it it really helps with the relationship building to be together once a year in person. Um, But then we maintain those racial relationships through the work plans that our, uh, our membership votes on. And so our framework for thinking about it is, uh, is like a pyramid where we, We invest a lot in connecting members to each other and building those relationships. And then once the connections are established, we feel like we can align our membership. And we do that through democratic and transparent processes, voting, through through a, a series of consensus processes. And only then do we really try to produce at scale. And that... That really operates in a in a mini way. Like any meeting we have follows that connect, align, produce sequence. But also over the course of the year, over the course of a five year strategy, we try to make sure we're continually investing in in the base of that pyramid. Um, you know that that's going to hold us together, which is the connections and the relationships and that kind of stuff. Like we don't even know half of the benefits of the relationships that 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 people. Uh, make and and build upon at our annual meeting each year you know we just see like tiny bits of it that members are telling us like like we know that the work plan gets voted on and that gets advanced and we know all that but there's so many things that that projects that get get that get launched ideas that get brewed, collaborations that, that begin um, when you bring amazing people together um, and you build a container that's really that, that really is around us healing. As as individuals and being able to move that
1: forward. This is uh, this is really beautiful, Kea, because as as again as you know, this is my bread and butter and what I'm, I'm most what I've devoted my life to. So I'm going to dig in a little bit more, just because I know a lot of my listeners are interested in what it takes to bring diverse groups of people together. How? How long is this annual gathering and how is it? Who facilitates it? Do you have a facilitation team? Like what, what are some of the things that happen? Did you just kind of organically let karaoke happen and therefore people connect? Uh, what does healing look like in this kind of a space? I'm just curious as to what, what is the form that it takes mainly because again, this is, this is what I spend my days doing. And I know people listening are curious about it.
0: Yeah. So that was a lot of questions. Um, We don't have an external facilitation team and we generally don't have external people at our meetings at all. Uh, And so the people who are there are our members and our members make this happen. We are a very small core team. And so our members are facilitating breakout sessions, we as staff are facilitating a lot of the sessions that are in the main room but really our members are taking notes are uh are facilitating are you know are doing the bulk of the work to pull this off Um, And and all the ideas around connection also come from our membership. So the karaoke started organically after, you know, we were we were we had finished a session and we were chanting, I believe that we will win. And somehow somebody decided to change it into I believe that we will sing. And then they all went karaoke and then we formalized it and we found we we did it. We do a lot of. uh, So we set the agenda through. Uh, a lot of member input for the meeting each year. Um, and then we have a webinar where we, where we talked about like, what's the most important thing for you. And it was just so funny at the, in the webinar for for this annual meeting, everybody was like, we need smoke machines and a karaoke machine. And I was just like, is this really the most important thing <laughs> right now? Because, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, You know the photo booth and the smoke machine it sounds silly that we we, that that we have to invest in these things as a movement but we do we're human beings and and singing is a part of being human and singing together is really an incredible connection just like dancing together or or you know making funny faces at a photo booth together um and then the healing part we, um, I think, well, honestly, I do think part of the singing and dancing is healing. But we also have healing centers at. For the first time, we had that our annual meeting this year. So we had, you know, rooms where people could just take a break, um, you know, do whatever their own practice or their own faith tra- tradition um uh, leads them to do but then we also did hire some folks to provide you know 15-minute massages and some acupuncture um because we feel like our members are out there on the front lines all day every day organizing they are really uh constantly putting others before themselves and this is a rare occasion each year to come together and talk about really hard things with others who are in similar positions all over the country. It's really hard right now, uh, that, you know, just on Monday in Washington, DC, uh, people, you know, like half of the city was underwater today. New Orleans is underwater between the fires and the floods. And, uh, it's it's, it's, an you know, and, and the deep, uh, levels of racial oppression in our society that are so systemic that our members are experiencing day in and day out. It's just a lot. So we feel like we're going to have these really hard conversations that are, you know, that are really about pretty bad things that are coming our way and that are happening in this country. Then we have to also provide space for people to take a step back and take care of themselves. Um, and it's really important to us that we all take care of ourselves and 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 that and our members are, are given the space to take care of themselves.
1: That sounds uh, beautifully human. It sounds like the, I can't even, well, even in some of the tables in which you, other tables in which you and I have interacted, I'm not going to call anyone out right now, but yeah, the very idea of having a conversation that was, personal or kind of self-revealing a part of yourself uh even then seemed and i'm not talking about the young climate leaders network uh, even then seemed like like something people were resisting right it was like it uh it's a movement where like policy is so important that it can attract people that are much, com- much more comfortable in their head and their intellect not in the dancing and the singing and the feeling and so i, I, I it sounds like something really special uh, that you're doing together
0: yeah i think it is and i and there was one question i didn't answer that you asked which is how long the meeting is um so we have uh so for us it's a longer longer meeting for staff so we have like a staff retreat and then we have our board meeting and then our members generally come on a tuesday so we have a pre meeting for leaders of color um, and then uh, and then we usually have some action to support a member in the place where we are so we were just in Minnesota so we had an action opposing the line three pipeline um, uh, and and delivered letters from uh, from us can membership to the, the the entity the government entity that will be deciding on the permit for that and then we begin on a Wednesday afternoon and end on a Friday afternoon so okay. it's not a terribly long meeting um, Uh, and the the core part of the meeting. So basically we get together on Wednesday and we do scene setting, reminding ourselves of what's going on. We usually talk about the top things that our members have voted on as a priority. On Thursday, we break out into a lot of sessions to cover all the topics our members want to vote on um, and we vote on Thursday. And then on Friday, we have the first meeting of the core action teams that we vote on on Thursday
1: got you and let's say i'm listening to somebody's listening to us right now and they're like wait a minute this is this is the kind of climate movement that i want to be a part of this is something that i want to plug into what what would they do
0: so if what
1: should they do yeah
0: so our members are organizations so that is the way we are a bit exclusive so organizations are members so 501 c3s or c4s or c5s in the legal code um uh, can join us, can um, if if that if that is of interest. Um, uh, but I think more importantly for individuals uh, who want to engage, I would say it's just to be a joiner in general. You know, the issue we work on really is about um, our ability to provide to have a stable enough climate so that people have food and water. Uh, it's a very Fundamental issue, and it's a big issue. And if you're in community, only then can you really uh, uh, absorb it and be able to talk about it. Is my feeling. It's just hard by yourself. And so, whatever organization you join, you can go to usclimatenetwork.org, and you can see a list of 180 groups there. There's there's one for everyone. Uh, There's one for every geography. There's one for every identity. There's what you know. There there's there's so many, you know, there's one for different professions, even, um, you know, there's so many lenses through which you can join. But I would say as an individual, the most important thing is to join some community because this is hard work. And it's so much easier when you're doing it in a loving community.
1: I, I am so resonating with you right now on this, Kea. Uh, one of the. I'm getting my I'm getting that echo again. Uh one of the questions that, that come up for me, well, I'll start with a comment. I am reading uh, a beautiful book, uh, you know, one of those books that, uh, that you know, it's not just a good one. It's one that will impact you for the next decade or the rest of your life. Uh, it's called The Wild Edge of Sorrow. And uh, the, uh, the central premise of it is that we live in a culture that does not know uh, how to grieve. Right, we don't have grieving rituals. We we turn away from grief, uh, something that is to be done individually. Uh, and grief, in some ways, the great leveler. Right, we're all bound to experience it. And one of the premises is that we have not been able to contend with the climate crisis because we are not having been able to contend with the grief. That our bodies, even if our minds don't feel it, our bodies are animals. Like we know that we are living through the sixth great extinction. Not because we're reading it on the headlines every day, though we are, right? But because we have a sense of it as biological entities that are of this earth. And multiple times you've referred to the fact that we're doing dealing with something hard and uh and to the power of community and of love in facing it. I'm wondering. What else you can share about what you've learned, about what it means to be a human being in this context, in these days, to to face that reality right now?
0: Yeah, I actually read that book, uh, *The Wild Edge of Sorrow*, right after Trump was elected. Uh, Perfect. I found it really useful uh, uh, for the time as well. And I think that part of what we're what we all need to grieve for, and then come together and work for again, is. Um, not just our planet and Mother Earth, but also our belief, to the extent any of us had it, that there was a common humanity and a system that would respond in a in a care wow. manner. And I think that the grief is really deep because it is it is yes for the for for us as part of a of a natural world, but it's also for you know our our belief in ourselves you know people i mean the 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 core feeling that i think we need to counter right now is a feeling of powerlessness
1: right and
0: uh, and people feel powerless because it's been a while since we've really used our power uh but we have a lot of power as people uh so for me i you know like i also am a person who channels my very quickly into action uh, Uh and, and doing, you know, just go throwing myself into something as a, as a coping mechanism, uh, uh, which, but, but for me, it's like, it's like, we have got to show people that we have power again. And we do have power as people like, there's no, there's no place where you can run any over any people like where you can rule over people if you don't if you don't have the people with you and there's more people who share a sense of justice than don't in this country and in this world still i still believe that and as people we have incredible sources of power because we pay our taxes still and that supports what they're doing we go to work and school we go buy things all the time and, and the minute we stop doing that, even for a little while, they can't keep doing their, you know, perpetrating their injustices. Whether you're talking about any of the injustices happening right now, there's so many it becomes overwhelming to even recount them. But, you know, children in concentration camps being ripped from their parents, uh, you know, uh, totally credible rape accusations against the president of the united states that are not being taken seriously you know every day living within a system that targets black men uh and incarcerates black men you know it's like this this like world of injustices including an inability to act on climate change but we we actually have an incredible ability to turn that around, and and I think one of the things for me that's been really helpful um, is is really digging into the political theories that help me understand what's going on right now. That tell me, like, okay, well, right now we're being run by you know an alliance that includes oligarchs and war mongering imperialists and. Know, these quote unquote family values folks that don't like women or anyone in the LGBTQI community or you know and uh, and white nationalists and that that is this alliance and this started from 1980 under Reagan and has lasted until today. But there was another alliance before that that was workers right. and environmentalists and the peace movement and the women's rights movement. And we can get that alignment back, but I don't think it's going to happen that easily. But like the more I dig into really understanding what got us here, I find that it helps me in the grief process of uh, like, it just helps me understand more what, like, why is all this terrible stuff happening, which then helps me figure out how to, how to cope with that internally, but also externally what we'll need to do to get beyond it.
1: This is that is so powerful and and so clear, Kaya. Thank you so much for it, uh, and, and yeah, for the passion with which you live. Uh, a a question. I'm gonna geek out with you here for a second, right? Because what I, I've looked at the similar pattern, right? And uh, one of the things I've observed, and and I, and I welcome an, another perspective, is that that alliance pre yeah that that was an alliance of. Of the one that you mentioned you know peace and, and justice civil rights and that, that was taken over. Uh, now at that time it still seemed like the way to organize was to run the state right to like take over the state as kind of the levers of power. And obviously right now we're seeing the levers of state power in the wrong hands. So to say that that doesn't matter, would be silly. It would be ignorant. At the same time, I keep coming up against that vehicle, the limitations of that vehicle as a tool for the kind of social transformation that we're going for, right? So I keep talking about the need to evolve consciousness itself, culture itself, how we choose to be together, what it is that we value as human beings so that we cannot so easily be turned into consumers, right, rather than human people. Uh, how do you contend with that tension?
0: I guess I would say two things. One is that our leaders who will get us out of this will not be people who are running for office and elected leaders. And, and I don't really believe that leaders ever have been. You know, like but Martin Luther King or Gandhi, these are not people who are running for office. These are people who... Led movements, and and I think we're looking to the wrong place sometimes for leadership. We're looking for who's the person who's going to run in the primary, who's going to inspire me. Sure, sometimes that happens, but more likely not. More likely, it's it's actually a movement leader who's going to be the person who gives us the the uh, the inspiration uh, that that enables us to to change hearts and minds. Um, over time and 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 reach people. Um, that said, I actually may be in a different place from you where, is, where I believe we do need to govern. When I think about who runs uh, this country and then I think about the members of the U.S. Climate Action Network, I can tell you who I would rather have running the country, which is maybe not, I mean, that's an understatement, right? That's not really fair because I would literally rather have almost anyone running the country but I think but I think my point is that I know that we as movement leaders know how to run things and know how to run things better and so I think that we should be governing and we should be aspiring to run this country in a different way in a humane way um I also recognize that like you know the current party structure and all of that really isn't a place where we're going to look to for leaders we i mean we have to make ourselves the people who are running um and 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 we have to put ourselves in charge and that feels like icky to people sometimes but i don't see another way and and, and we're so i, I would also say that i don't i'm in a place where i don't actually think that that's a path to creating the change we need so yes i think we should govern but i think that that honestly we will need pretty large-scale civil disobedience to get us to jolt us off of the track we are on towards fascism and autocracy and injustice and so i don't think just like working within the confines of this political and economic system that has built in so much oppression is going to get us there. I don't think we can just work within that system. I think we have to jolt the system up, up the tracks. And absolutely, I think we should be vying for power.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I want to be clear. I, sir, I, I think we're, we, are, we are aligned there. I think we need to run the country. And I, I think I'm exactly where you are. I, I think we need the right people in making policy. Policy yeah. matters. We're going to enact policy at such a scale yeah. that at this point only the 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 state and the most powerful state in the world could do it. So I'm right there with you. I just often worry about the the political imagination of people being too limited to that to that particular pathway. And it certainly doesn't seem like that's where you are. Uh, I did want to ask you because it came up multiple times, and I made a note here. It sounds like with this momentum work, and now you just mentioned civil disobedience again, and we mentioned the civil rights movement as a as an example. Uh Tell tell me more about that. That certainly seems to be the only path. Tell me how you're thinking about it. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think can happen, must happen?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we use the Bill Moyer framework of the roles of activists a lot. I don't know if you've seen that, but we, you know, we say a lot, like we need all the roles of activists. We need the anchors, you know, like the Pope who will protect us as activists from charges of extremism. And we need the reformers to get whatever we can out of the political and economic system and we need the rebels who say no and deploy nonviolent direct action and and bring our issue into the spotlight when everyone is ignoring us um, and we need the change agents the people who have that imagination you were talking about the people who can imagine a different political and economic system one that wouldn't have caused the underlying crisis that led to the climate crisis to begin with um, and so I think we need all of it. I will say for me personally, just a lot of my energy and and uh, um, uh, excitement is coming from uh, from from thinking about how we can give people a sense of agency and power again um, and that's why I'm really really excited about this because i I'm just thinking about like how can we help people their power, use their power? How can we build leadership in our community uh, and train people so that everyone's not starting from scratch, but really help people understand what are the tools that have been used in civil disobedience and nonviolent movements all over the world throughout history? Like This is not something that has never been done before. We've never, it's, human beings have found themselves in worse positions than this and gotten out of it Using nonviolent direct action. And so we, we should be building massive training programs and, and letting people step into their leadership uh, and really be able to, uh, to express that leadership in their own communities so that they can feel that they have power again and shake yeah. off that feeling of powerlessness. So that to me is what why I'm so excited about this project, because we're trying to create that training program and that container that would enable people to shake off that feeling of powerlessness that I know so many people are feeling right now.
1: That sounds beautiful <laughs> and it resonates deeply. I know that for me, when I look at the what I consider the crisis of the culture at large, right, before we even talk about any of this, I experienced, I witnessed a crisis of meaning and a crisis of connection, right? Like the the large meta stories that brought us together, whether those be uh, the mainline faith traditions in many ways, right? Uh, uh, Are not drawing people into their churches, temples, mosques at the same level. And by the way, I'm not in any way devaluing those of us that still find a lot of meaning there. Uh, Or the grandiose story of, our country as the beacon of an, of, on a hill, right? So these, these meta stories have come into question. They don't have the same power. So we're left with a crisis of meaning that only then, then kind of narrows us into, uh, meaning in identity, for example, as the one way to find something. And, and then we also have a crisis of connection, right? We have a very affluent culture that, uh, have a loneliness as a crisis, right? That has addiction as a crisis, right? has anxiety and depression as a crisis because we are not in community with each other, like you're saying. So when I think about the climate crisis, I often think of it, talk about about meaning, talk about a big thing for us to come together around, Uh, talk about a great opportunity to build community around, to build connection around. So there there seems to be a, a, powerful opportunity here that you seem to be pointing towards Uh, where i get what needs to happen where are the kind of points of light where do you what have you learned turns people on right like what has to get somebody out of uh, what some might have called the consensus trance right of the culture we're in this consensus trance kind of looking the other way as the waters keep rising like what are the, where are you seeing, what turns somebody on?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think the ability to be in community and express joy turns people hmm. on. And so I've been really, you know, this is another connection through the Young Climate Leaders Network. Um, uh, but one of our colleagues there, uh, Will Lawrence, um, and other friends, um, uh, uh, we're good friends, and they're also US Climate Action Network at um, at Sunrise Movement, I think have done an amazing job of showing how you can bring people together in community that's around singing and joy. And yes, it's around sit-ins, but if you see any video footage of them sitting in, they're all telling their stories. They're singing, they're in community together, they're learning more about each other every day. They're together. You know, they're breaking bread together all the time. I went down to the Democratic National Committee office. And they 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 occupied the steps of the office for forty eight hours, demanding a um, uh, a climate debate. And when I went there, uh, you know, to to, they create a fun experience, right? Like they everyone was sitting outside watching the debates outside, cheering, and you know, some people had their sleeping bags. They were camping there, and, and and. People were coming by and dropping off food and provisions, and there were songs. And it's really, uh, it really is, I think, an exciting movement, the Sunrise Movement, and really what inspired us to start this front loading process because they they had also done a similar front front loading process. Uh, But for me, that's a place where I see, I, I really see how we can get beyond. Uh, the crises that, that you outlined. Um, like I, like I, I see a path forward through the work of the Sunrise Movement and that they've identified some of these core things that, that we need as people.
1: That is awesome. And it's curious that Will comes up again, because I haven't spoken to Will since we were together. And just this Monday, uh, we did a call for uh, something uh, called the Better Men Project. Uh, and Will showed up. And he actually showed up because somebody else invited him. And I know you and I have, not because of me, right? Not because he was on my list. And uh, I'm just appreciating the power of networks. I know that you and I have talked extensively about that, right? And uh, yeah, here we are, like making these points of reference. this this investments that we've made in bringing even just 25 people together to build deep relationship over a period of time really seems to when well, when they're the right people it seems to have powerful reverberations i'm really happy to hear you you bring will up and, and to bring joy up and and i think you know what i'm going to tell you okay you know and hearing you talk and a couple of other people recently it is making me uh more hopeful it is making me aware that there is a uh, that there are people focused on the human part, on connection, on story sharing, on joy. I, I think before the call, uh, you heard me uh, complain a little bit about something I bring up a lot on the podcast when I'm talking to to brilliant people like you, people that care. Uh, you know, as a facilitator, I'm often wrestling with with. What seems like, uh, like the centering of a victim identity in some places. I know, for example, that I find the trauma discourse to be really important and a really powerful move forward because it humanizes us. It acknowledges our pain, right? It says, you know, I have been hurt in my life. I've been, I'm in a community that has been hurt. There's been generational pain that we got to work through here. And I think of this as a net positive. Uh, but i also uh, find a pattern of uh of kind of wanting to rock our trauma right kind of leveraging it uh, in ways that feel less than healthy that we're not we're not trying to work through it but we kind of embed it in our identity and and that often as a facilitator often, yield some frustration for me because it feels like it keeps us from doing the deep and intense work that we're here to do. There's a kind of fragility implied in it. And and, and what you're speaking to seems to be the opposite, right? It seems to be joy. It seems to be sinking together. It seems to be storytelling and relationship and love. You did mention the need for healing, but it doesn't seem to be centered in the same. It doesn't seem like it's... No, healing is key, but it doesn't seem like this victim thing is at the heart of your work. I'm wondering if you can help me think through this, but given the people that you are, that you're in relationship with, I'm sure you've seen at least some of the pattern in the space that you're in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, in fact, important. And I say this as a person who is not the recipient of uh, anti-Black racism, but I know that it is anti-Black racism that, 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 Incarcerated and kills so many black people, and that brought us Trump, you know, like that was their plan. Um, and so I I do feel like we have to own the impact of our actions, and we have, and I think that having that agreement within our network that we will own the impact of our words and our actions, and we will, you know, take the time to understand uh white supremacy and and how the system has built up that way enables us. To have some honest conversations, that then we can get to the point of saying yes, and we need to tone down the call out culture, particularly to people who are young, particularly towards people who are very new to the movement and are trying to join. Um, if, if, you know, if, if we want to keep the movement small, then it's great. To, uh, to to call people out and make sure that people are perfect all the time, if we want to grow, then we have to educate people um, you know, and so I think there's a, there's a balance and a tension between those two things like, We have to own the impact of what we're doing. there are things that we do um, you know those of us that carry privilege I and mean, I, you know like I, all of us are somewhere in the middle of the privilege ladder, right you know but but like I, I, there, there, I have to take responsibility for, for my, the impact I'm having at all times. At the same time, I think that there are uh, there, there's, there's a way you can interact with somebody that, that takes that as a moment to educate instead of as a moment to call out. And that really happens when you have actual relationships right and it is. can't happen without relationships. So for me all these things are very intertwined. You know, the ability to 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 really um address any trauma that that, ex- that exists and is being caused in a moment depends on the relationship with that person. If you have a relationship then you can have that conversation. If you don't have a relationship it's really hard to have that conversation. and so for me it comes back to relations. I don't know if I answered your question. But.
1: No, I think you did. I think you did. I think it's something we're all wrestling with and, and I think the spirit uh, and open-mindedness that you're bringing to it and heart actually you're saying, hey, whatever the trauma is because I don't think it's I I, I, think, I don't think it's just anti-blackness that I was referring to here. Uh, whatever the trauma is, we need to acknowledge it. we need to hold it. We need to kind of feel the impact of history in this, in the current moment and yeah what does it mean to 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 it's hard to keep blaming people for not knowing what they don't know right like if if they if they haven't learned it yet right yeah. uh yeah i mean
0: i just i think that we that that we have a problem with call out culture in our movement and again particularly towards young people people who are, who are new to the movement it turns people off and it's not and and it's often not, you know, in a in a kind and loving spirit. And so, I think if we can turn it around and come from a kind and loving pace again, even while we understand the impact, not only like the the pre-existing trauma, but the trauma usually in those situations that has just been caused in that moment. Usually there's something that has happened in that moment and that that, that has that has resurfaced trauma. Um, so we need
1: to all acknowledge that impact, but we also need to stop yelling at young people. They're not going to join our movement. Got it. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, um, I, I'm looking at the time and I know that part of what I wanted to get to here was some of the, the choices that you've made in your life that I, that I think are, are a very interesting part of your story, uh, you know, I, I when I met you, you weren't taking you weren't taking airplanes. Is that still true?
0: I I very rarely, so I limit my flights to one per year maximum. Um, wow. So we we keep a very tight carbon budget.
1: Uh, That's a very, and you've been doing that for a good while. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tell, tell me about that. It sounds it sounds really challenging to be somebody in your role in uh, a national network uh, doing that. Yeah, and I, I know I'm on a plane all the time, which is you know a little embarrassing when I'm talking to you. Uh, but I'm curious as to what can you tell me about those choices. That, how, how are you living within your within this kind of tight carbon budget?
0: Yeah, I mean, so for what started it, honestly, was just a fight with my utility. So I got into a fight with the utility; they were overcharging me, and I cut them off. So that was what <laughs> actually started me down this path. I was kind of already primed to 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 want to get off of their dirty product, but, uh, their terrible customer service trophy there. Um, but I, uh, you know, for a lot of the things that I do, whether it's like getting around with, you know, I, I happen to live in an urban place, so I can get around with a bicycle and walking and public transportation. Uh, I have that privilege. I, uh, you know, like I can eat vegetarian food. I, you know, like it's easy for me. I don't, I, like I never really even liked me, Um, you know, I think that that some of the things are just things I can do that uh, some of the things genuinely like, you know, are, I think most people would consider very hard, like we don't use heating or air conditioning. Um, but, you know, part of that is also the the beauty of that is that like, we spend a lot more time in public places, at, at libraries, at public pools. We spend a lot more time in community. We know so many more of our neighbors. Through all of the practices that I'm talking about, because we do not I don't have a car I jump into and drive away, I talk to my neighbors because I'm walking somewhere. I'm in a human scale, you know, because I uh, am not traveling so much is another reason I get to form community. Like that's a privilege to be able to form community and get to go on vacation in places that are near to me. Um, and, and that, that are, that are really a a part of, of our community. So I, and I would say the same for using extremely limited, uh, electricity, but for me, fundamentally, it's just, I really struggle when I feel a dissonance between, uh, what I want, uh, for this world and what I'm living. Uh, and that dissidence has led me to change jobs a bunch of times and certainly leads to a lot of the, you know, the, the things that I do. And a lot of it is also, honestly, because I find it really fun. I mean, like, and, and I derive a great deal of joy from it. So, like, last night in our neighborhood, H Street Northeast in D.C., we had a power outage. I was, I felt terrible for everyone suffering and I walked outside and told everyone I felt bad for them, but, you know, we have solar panels and batteries, which again is a great privilege, but so our power didn't go out. So I was so excited. I was like, I was like giddy excited. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. The power had gone out. Um, And so, you know, it's the same thing, like riding a bike down a hill to get home, like that is a joyous thing. I don't know the last when the last time was you rode a bike down a hill, but it is a beautiful thing to do. Yeah,
1: I love it. Yes, absolutely. But, uh,
0: yeah. and, I, and I feel bad for people who you know like who who don't have the the options that I have to do any of those things. But I would say fundamentally, they bring me joy and they help me feel at peace um, that I'm living in the future that I know we can all live in. Uh, I know we can be in a place where right now you know fossil fuel companies and oligarchs have made it so we must use dirty products in order to participate in the economy i know we can have a world where that's not the case i know that that's possible there's no reason why buying an automobile in an urban center should be your only ticket to participating in the economy Everyone who wants to should get to have that feeling of riding a bike down a hill. And they don't right now. Um, and that's by design. Um, that's and right. So for me, it's it's like an act of joy and rebellion. when I'm I love it. Pers- personal decisions. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of like working out the kinks by doing it early as well. Somebody's got to work out the kinks because I tend to do things like that like first and then and then figure out like, oh, this is really hard without a protected bike lane. And then I and
1: then I go get the protective bike That's that's beautiful, Kay, and You're absolutely right. It takes it takes people like you to make other people, people like me, kind of pause and be like, "Am I doing enough? You know, is there more of a stretch? It's, if there is there something inspiring in the integrity involved in making those choices?" Uh, uh, you know, the word in Spanish that we have is "consecuente," and uh, you know, when people talk about somebody like Che Guevara. The word consequente keeps coming up, right? Because he embodied. He tried to live by the principles that he that, that he held. And, and, and I really honor and I'm moved by those choices. I I am looking at the time. I didn't want to let you go though without. uh, I want to ask you just a little bit, and I was hoping to get to this earlier in the call. A little bit more about your your personal story. I, I don't think. Someone like you is kind of born awake, right? I mean, I guess you are. I, I know. I, I look there. I remember my son, and I they meet some of these young people now. I'm like, whoa, uh, they know something. That soul is old, and I could see that in you. But how how did you come to this work? How did you come to this to this vocation and this this, this sense of purpose?
0: Yeah, I I started my career um, working at NASA um and i just was freaked out by the data i was seeing one day and i asked my boss uh if i could go work on climate change and so i changed directions um and i would say i i really at the time i really didn't understand what we're up against i thought that you know like we could, yeah, I, could, I could be like, hey, I'm here from NASA, we have a problem, let me tell you about it, let's fix it. And then I realized very quickly that the problem wasn't that people didn't know, the problem was that they did know. And if the problem is that they do know, then you're not going to change anything by bringing knowledge or accumulating or disseminating more knowledge. Uh, it, it is, it's fundamentally a political problem. Um and and a uh, and a hearts and minds problem uh is is the only way we're gonna solve a political problem. Uh and so I would say I um my journey to where I am today has been a series of things that didn't work and me trying something else, you know, like maybe if I'm a scientist, oh maybe if I work for a big nonprofit and I can change things from there, or maybe, you know, and um and I'm still learning. Uh, you know, I try to figure out what doesn't work and, uh, and stop doing that thing. <laughs> and lean into trying something. That's a
1: yeah, huge step because many, many of us just keep doing what doesn't work. So congratulations. <laughs> now, were you a scientist at NASA?
0: Yeah, so my training is as an ecologist. So I was doing observations of Earth from space in the science department, looking at the carbon cycle, and um, and you know I was I was a terrestrial microbial ecologist by training, in fact, um, and that was sort of a path I was on that it, um, it I I was jolted off of, uh, you know. Be, because I saw the Arctic sea ice data in 2002, which is kind of funny now. Because now, if you look at 2002 Arctic sea ice data, you don't see anything because there was such a big decline in in uh, 2012. I believe that the scale had to change of the charts that were used, and and it's just continued to decline since then. But you know, I I worked at NASA, and you know we talked about how planets that had polar ice caps just worked so fundamentally different. From planets that didn't have them, and I realized we were heading in a very scary direction. Um, but just realizing that is, you, you know, like doesn't tell you how to fix it. So that's where I say I've, I've made I've made a lot I've had a lot of trial and error. Um, I, I, I think
1: I'm
0: still on that path.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I wanted to ask: Do you read fiction? I do. do you, I read a lot. of fiction. I, uh, I recently read N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy. Uh, it's a sci-fi book. She's a, she's a black woman. It got all the sci-fi awards. And it's, it's a really powerful take uh, on, I think, on the climate crisis. It's about, about a lot more than that.
0: What's that? Is it called again?
1: The Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemison. Uh, highly recommend that i i be cu- ping me a- if you read it ping me after i would be curious it, and I I think. yes and i want i and hey forgive me if it's not an appropriate question but are you the child of migrants or have you guys been here for multiple generations yes uh i am uh
0: yeah. my uh my 1970
1: 1970
0: um and uh in my yeah so so my um my parents, when they were very young, were displaced by partition. Um, so really experienced as a family of the brutality of colonialism. Uh, and my my grandfather, my, my paternal grandfather, was in jail for a couple of years as part of the Indian independence movement. Um, uh, Bengalis in general were very, very... Uh, um, Pressed in the context of, of British colonialism, and so my parents were displaced when they were very young and moved to uh, to Kolkata um, and grew up there. And they came here um, before I was born um, in, in the seventies.
1: And how do my grandparents that have been through through such to such oppression and such impact? Uh, you know, because I, I, I'm familiar with with the, the the general migrant mindset. How do they take on the fact that you've decided to do this with your life, right, as opposed to be a NASA scientist? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is definitely you know, uh, you know, there's a saying. I don't know if they say this in other immigrant cultures, but they de- like in Indian culture, you hear a lot of like doctor, lawyer, failure are your three options,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs>
0: and so so like nasa scientists was like okay not as good as doctor or lawyer but it was okay um uh and this is kind of like confusing and unknown maybe but um i do find it really interesting i was just i was just talking to my parents about this actually that um uh so many movement leaders are bengali uh and i think that there is you know like like sarita gupta who runs jobs with justice um uh shortcut who's the chief of staff for alexander i mean i can go on and on but it's like so many social justice leaders are bengali and i i i think that's probably cultural and i think it's probably very related to having experienced such severe oppression and displacement um, and 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 having been raised with those stories, and also on like Rabindranath Tagore, who was a poet who won the Nobel Peace Prize. he's Very very famous in the public circles. Um, but, uh, but you know you know being raised on those songs and that poetry that are really all about revolution and all about over you know in, in very subtle ways because you couldn't do it overtly, but are really fundamentally all about overthrowing colonialism. Um, and I think that there is something to that. How it has ended up that so many leaders are are Bengali. Um,
1: uh, That's powerful. I have no. I appreciate that. I make. I make. I, I get how that works. Uh, just being Puerto Rican myself and seeing kind of it's interesting this tiny little place with this huge kind of cultural footprint. Right. Like, how do these things happen? And 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 I think you 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 is. I, I, you hold a good theory, a good hypothesis here. I
0: don't
1: know. I, 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 I have a, a, just a couple more questions uh, before before I let you go back to to the hard business of, of building a movement. Um, the you have a son, I believe, that will be turning nine, and uh, you know, I think a big question for people like us is how do you contend with uh, may making our helping our children become aware of what is happening take responsibility without absolutely terrifying them right uh how do you mother uh in the climate crisis right like, i'm just uh i think you probably have some deep wisdom to share there
0: I I mean, I bring my kid everywhere. So since you, I mean, like when he, you know, when he was two days old, he, I was, I couldn't even walk. I was in a wheelchair and went to a rally. When he was four months old, you were out there, you know, protesting the Keystone XL pipeline. He is so exposed to all of this um, that uh, that he really understands What's going on in a way that most adults don't? Uh, you know, he's he has met incredible movement leaders for a rising nine-year-old. You know, um, and so I have never been a parent who hides things. So I, you know, he comes to meetings and sits in the back in colors because I, you know, I'm at community meetings all the time. I'm at, you know, like like uh, it, I. I really think that part of the loss of 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 culture that we have is this divorcing of children from our spaces and so i really believe in bringing you know children and elders into our spaces Um, and i think it's really important and one thing i i talked to a child psychologist about this at some point who was saying that you know for most kids it's actually you know they recommend not really talking about very hard things like climate change until like sixth grade except for people who are involved in activism and movement, because that gives a support system. If a kid is taught about climate change at school, but then has no concept that there are people doing something about it every day, it's debilitating. But if they're they're taught about climate change and they have a built-in support system of their family, being at rallies, being at protests, doing something about it, they're able to internalize it at a much younger age. Um, I mean frankly I have no choice it's not like I'm right. like oh I have these 800 child care options. let me not uh-huh. child to this meeting um but I but I also really believe that um, that it, because I believe so much of the core of our problem is a feeling of powerlessness, I love giving my kid a sense of power so like he, he, I took a video of him once biking to school and he asked me to take the video and I, and I sent it to uh, the DC D- 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 Department of Transportation. And I was like, I don't want to have to post this on Twitter, but like, this is what it looks like with my six-year-old biking to school because someone painted over the bike lane last week. And I got an immediate email back, like, don't need to post this on social media. We will fix it immediately.
1: <laughs>
0: so so one gets that sense of power, right? And how that happens and that you can change things and that we're not powerless. And that to me is more important um, really than any like facts that I could teach.
1: That is beautiful. Thank you for that. I I will take that wisdom with me. Uh, The last, the last thing that I want to ask you quick personal ones. I know I keep, I keep teasing you with this end, uh, but I can't let you go without asking uh, about the green new deal uh, just because, you're you and you do what you do. Uh, how are you feeling about it? What are your thoughts? Uh, just, just a couple of, a sentence or two on, on this, this big proposal. Yeah,
0: I'm really excited that we have an actual Solution that is at the scale of the crisis we're facing that is being discussed and on the table. And really grateful to Sunrise Movement um, and everybody who got us to this point um, of, of discussing it. I think for a lot of our members, there's a lot of angst about the process and how, like, it, got, it was so fast, and like, but is it going to have the content? Is it going to have everything I want to have in it? Um, like, are we really going to be able to center justice here, or is this going to get co-opted? So I, I understand um, the anxiety around it, um, but um, but my orientation is is excitement.
1: Great, thank you for that. Uh, so I, I, there's two questions that I ask at the end of every podcast, uh, and 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 the first one is going to feel like a hard left turn, uh, but I. I am. uh, I've been interviewing uh, women, women of color, centering that, and and I'm interviewing uh, this powerful women like yourself, you know, in in the shadow of the the Me Too movement, right? And uh, I'm a man. I'm a cisgender man, and I have have made a deep personal commitment to to atone, right, for my my role in patriarchy for the the mistakes that I have made, for the harms that I have caused. And and so when I'm in conversation with someone like you, I I always like to ask, you know, what should men do? What is the advice that you have for men that are swimming in this culture that not only privileges us, but really made so many of us harmful, dangerous, right? Unaware of our power and, and, and of the harm that we can cause. Uh whether that be harassment or sexual violence or simply the way we show up at meetings, right? Like what what advice or what wisdom uh do you have for the men that are that are listening?
0: I mean part part of it is in what you said. So I think the first step is is educating to understand that you are Swimming downstream and not everybody is. Um, and I think that, that that to me is like the most important thing for people to, to understand that like if you're swimming downstream, you don't even know it's easier for you. Like you because you're not aware of the water. Um, and and you don't know that some people are swimming upstream. Um I think just gaining that sense of awareness and then, you know, on a very practical level, offer to take notes.
1: <laughs> yes. Offer oh, to take notes sometimes. I'm saying that again. Thank you for that. Thank you. Beautiful. I appreciate it. And I wish people could hear the big smile that you have as you say this. Uh, and then the next, the last, last thing here is I, I like to do this, and uh, it's a light mild touch facilitation, right? But I like to invite my guest, somebody like you that's so conscious about the life that you're living. To imagine yourself, to try and picture yourself 20 years from now, right? And all of these things that you're working on out in the world, the within yourself, right? These personal goals, as kind of human being that you want to be, uh, the kind of things that you want to see happen. Um, if I can invite you, you don't even have to tell me what that looks like, but if I, you could do a little time travel and imagine that a good bit of that has been achieved. Of course, some of it won't be. Right. There will be other stumbling blocks, other things, but like that, that the general direction has been attained that you've gained some wisdom and you've had some achievements under your belt. Can you, can you picture yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then if you could time travel back from there, what advice would you give yourself? Would that kind of 20 years oldest person give you today?
0: I guess, keep experimenting.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. And, and what advice would you give us, the people that like you, that listen to you, that appreciate your wisdom from that perspective?
0: I don't think it actually changes from that perspective. It's still join. join yeah, be a part
1: yeah. of
0: community. Join something. Beautiful.
1: Lovely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kea. I am so happy to be reconnected to you. I think there's some work together for us in the near future. I'm excited about that. I appreciate your heart, your passion, your honesty, the commitment. Uh, That's Maya that you bring to this work. So thank you for for giving me a little bit of your time. Giving us- also thunderstorm here. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <The> i <climax laughs>
0: <same film. laughs> I don't know if you could
1: hear
0: it on
1: your end, but it's sounds- that. Yeah, we did. We got it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been quite beautiful. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Gerard.